Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, right here at the broadcast location, and of course, Nagadochis and Dybal and Duncan and online in Iglesia. So glad to have you joining us as we continue this series, Unashamed. This is our bookend, two-part series on one of the most powerful emotions you're going to experience, and that is the emotion of shame. Uh, this week, I'm actually with Janet and her parents, Jean and Karen, along with my daughter and our son and my daughter's boyfriend, and we are celebrating Jean uh, and Karen's 50th wedding anniversary. And so we are on a family adventure together. I would call it vacation, but that's only when it's just me and Janet. It's an adventure when you add anybody else. And uh, we are on this family adventure celebrating Jean and Karen's 50th wedding anniversary. My daughter is going to school in Florida, and she had a flight to come and join us. However, a tropical storm this weekend uh, hijacked those plans, and so she had to, in kind of a last-ditch effort, uh, jump in the car and drive 15 hours across four state lines uh, to be here in time for us all together together and leave on our trip. That Four state line, 15-hour drive, going halfway, staying the night in a hotel, doing all that by yourself. It's just hard to, it's just hard to fathom how fast time flies. I don't know if anybody can agree with me on that, that it's like yesterday we were welcoming her into this world. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think of 16 years ago, Sage here at the broadcast location. After a day at KidWorks, we uh, buckled her in into her car seat and we were leaving the parking lot of the Lufkin location. And Janet and I were in the front and I looked into the rear view mirror and Sage had this look on her face. It was as if she were lost in her thoughts. She was daydreaming so deeply at three years old. Her eyes were somehow peering through the roof of our car, and she had a vision. I did not know what it was, but something was on her mind. And so as we were driving home or driving to lunch or whatever we were doing after that Sunday service, I simply said, hey, Sage. She looked at me in the rearview mirror, and I said, what are you thinking about? What? What's gotten you so lost in your thoughts? And Sage just looked up and said, <sighs> candy. That's what she, she was daydreaming about candy. I mean, I, it must have been good candy. This was no grandma's candy, okay? This wasn't Werther's Originals. This was some of like the, she was dreaming about candy. And isn't that so much like our young minds, our little ones, how they can get so caught up in the small little things? And uh, even though she was dreaming about candy, now, 16 years later, she's driving across four state lines, and no doubt in my mind, she's thinking about a lot of other things. As a matter of fact, as we grow older, the truth is we shift from daydreaming about candy, and we many times will get lost in our thoughts about criticism criticizing other people and criticizing ourselves. Instead of when we're young, we like to play dress up. When we get older, we, we tend to get lost in our thoughts on how to cover up, how to kind of close up or shore up or hide things about us. Instead of us spending time digging in the sand, we end up 
digging up dirt about other people or burying hurt. Uh, That's kind of what we can deal with as we grow older. And here's the truth about all this idea. These aren't the results of just growing up. When we have deeper thoughts and thoughts, like when we get lost in our thoughts and it's more about revenge or it's more about what they said or it's more about what we didn't do or it's more about the scarcity that we're experiencing versus the big dreams that we have. This isn't just growing up. This is the result of one of the first emotions God chooses to show us in the word of God. In the book of Genesis, when he talks to, about Adam and Eve, they're there, they're created, they are naked and they felt no shame. That's what shame is. Shame is what makes us want to cover stuff up. Last week, we talked about shame is the attempt to hide who I think I really am. And as we dig a little deeper today, as we kind of drill, we're not going to go really wide as much as we're going to go a little deeper today. Uh, I want us to peer in. I want us to take a look. I want us, I want us to, to roll the stethoscope and breathe in and breathe out over the back of shame. And, and really what I want us to do is kind of not just like a doctor with a stethoscope, but like an optometrist with the machine that dials in the prescription. We're actually going to peer through four windows into the shame place. We're going to talk about this shame place that we live and how our brains go from that dreaming when we're young to being as I like to call it, in shame in the membrane, in shame in the brain. Uh, You're welcome, 1990s. You're you're welcome. Four windows into the shame place. We're going to unpack them today. Here is the first window into how shame works. The first one is this. It's the window called the mask. And you and I, we deal with like the four corners of our world. We deal with the four corners of our relationships. We all can find ourselves in this corner looking through this window called the mask. And the mask is the part of our lives that I know, I know about myself, but you don't. Why? Because I've, I've covered it up. The Bible in the book of Genesis says, Adam answered God as they had been shameful because they had eaten of the fruit. They had sinned against God. They were exposed. They lost their innocence. And when God like said, where are you? Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was was scared. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. It was his only way of really putting on a mask and trying to hide who he was. And ever since then, we have been living in mass where I know some stuff about me, but I don't want you to know about it. And so I try to protect myself by putting the mask on. Write write this down in your notes. I use shame to protect me. Uh, my wife has some friends that they run, uh, they run miles and miles and miles. In a couple of weeks, they'll be doing a marathon in, in the Carolinas. And uh, they were on a run a, a couple of years back. And they run in the morning and they usually run by themselves. And one of them, Andrea True, who's a longtime faithful uh, dream teamer and leader, uh, her and Eric here at the uh, broadcast location, uh, Andrea runs with Janet and Andrea runs with pepper spray. Because you just never know who you're going to meet or you never, you never know what you're going to meet. So she runs with a little bit of pepper spray, okay? So like 
careful. Don't just sneak up on them and try and be funny and scare them. You're going to get hurt, okay? And she runs with pepper spray. Well, they were running a few years back, and they were in the middle of Brook Hollow neighborhood, and as they were running, there was a horse fly that kept chasing Janet, and, and, and kept bugging Janet, uh, no pun intended. And this horsefly was, was bothering Janet and was on her leg and wouldn't stop messing with her. And so Andrea said, Janet, I got an idea. I've got this pepper spray. I'm going to spray the bugs so it'll get off of you. Now, let me just pause the story here and just say, if you want to get rid of bugs, if you want to get bugs off of you, don't use pepper spray, okay? Use off. That's what you use. You use off. But unbeknownst to them, uh, they just thought pepper spray was for your eyes. So when Andrea sprayed Janet, okay, not only did the horse fly go, but Janet started burning up because it affects your skin big time. Now, this is kind of the way shame is too, in order to protect Janet, she sprayed the pepper spray. But shame is kind of like pepper spray. I can use shame to protect me, but it ends up blinding me. It can burn me, and eventually it will hijack my trajectory. That pepper spray kind of caused them to veer off course and uh, run a little bit different and go to a different place. And and when it's in your eyes and when it's around you, it can blind you and it can burn you. And that's what shame does. And when we wear this mask, the, the, the truth is um, we're just hurting ourselves. Shame is something we think we're protecting ourselves with. We're actually damaging ourselves from within. I use shame to protect me, but it ends up blinding me and burning me and eventually hijacking my trajectory. So... We've got the mask. We've got the mask. Here's the second arena. There's the second window, and it is just what I said. It is the arena. Now, if I've got the mask on, the second area of my life in my relational world is the arena, and that's where I know what's going on. Go, go back real quick. I know and you know. So the arena is everybody is playing the same game. Everybody's aware of the same things. And in this arena, like all of it is, is out there. Here's what scripture says. Everything they do, talking about the Pharisees, those religious people in the, in, the, in the Bible that Jesus had to deal with, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. A phylactery was a box that was, would sit on top of their head, a big old box just right there, and they would put scrolls in it, tiny little scriptures and things, and they made those phylacteries be like, look how smart I am. Look at the tassels, like look how holy I am. And in the arena, they wanted to put on a certain look. Really, that's part of the mask because even though I know and you know, there's still things in the arena that we don't always know. Now, in that arena, what we tend to do is we tend to play games. In the arena, they enter the arena. The game is being played in the Colosseum. And here, here are the games that we love to play. We love to play Okay, we love to play the fame game. We love to play the blame game. And we may not love to play it, but we get pretty good at playing, as we've been talking about, the shame 
game. Now, let me tell you the rules of these three games, and let me tell you how to win these games. All right, first one. Here's how you play the fame game. It's the game that the enemy, the devil, in the form of a serpent, serpent wanted to get Adam and Eve to play. This is what they wanted to play, the, the, the fame game. He said, did God really say you can't eat of this fruit? And Eve goes along with it and says, no, 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 no. He doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he doesn't want you to be like him. In other words, he doesn't want you to be as famous as he is and as big as he is and as wise as he is. And so here's how you play the fame game. Act like God. Act like you're the one in charge. Act like you have the final say. Be the one who sits on the throne of your heart. If you want to play the fame game and you want to win at that fame or you want to really play it well, you begin to act like God. It is our challenge. It's the struggle. We are addicted to control. We're addicted to playing God. It's why, it's why the commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments start with have no other gods before me. It's why the, the greatest commandments or love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, because we love to love us. We love to be God instead of letting God be God. But here's how you win the fame game. Here's how you win. You got to do that humility trump card. You got you to go skip-bo on the humility card and allow yourself to humble yourself, to not think of yourself less uh, not to think less of yourself, but to not think of yourself as much. That's how you play, and that's how you win the fame game. W what about the blame game? Here's how you play the blame game, and it's what we see in this story of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve as well. The moment they sin, and they realize they're naked, and they feel shame, and they want to hide themselves and protect themselves, God is walking in the garden. They hide behind a bunch of trees. God shows up to them, says, Adam, Eve, where are you? Now, he's not asking that because he is unaware. It's not because he's not uh, uh, all-knowing. It's not like he's like, man, I shouldn't have made all these 52,000 species of trees. Can't say anything. It's so lush and so thick and so great. It's paradise. No, no, he knows exactly where they are, but he's asking them a question so that they can wrestle with it themselves. He says, where are you? And Adam kind of peeks out covered in fig leaves and says, I was afraid, so I hid. And God says, who told you you were naked? And, and here, <laughs> here's, what, here's what Adam says. He says, the woman that you put here made me eat the apple. So he's like blaming God, the woman you made, and he's blaming Eve. Like, like I don't know. And here's how you basically play the blame game. Just pass the buck. Just pass the buck. Blame everybody else for something. Take no responsibility. Don't own up to anything. Instead of owning up, we pass the buck. So how do you win the blame game? Adam and Eve didn't know how to play it. They played it all right, but they didn't win it. You end up losing. Here's how you win the blame game. You take responsibility. You own up to your own actions. You, you lay it out there and confess it. And he doesn't slap you in the face with a belt when you stop blaming as a matter of fact, there's only so much responsibility you can take for your sin anyway. There's not enough responsibility you could take to wash your sin away. So Jesus takes the ultimate responsibility of your sin. He takes the ultimate responsibility of your debt. 
that you could not pay, but that you owed way more than you could ever pay back. Jesus ultimately takes full responsibility, but we get to, we get to take some responsibility and do our part. Hey, how do you play the shame game? How do you play the shame game? All right, here, here, here's, here's how you play. Just keep hiding. Some of you for years have gotten so good at hiding. You've gotten so good at the mask in the arena and wearing the mask inside the arena and you are playing the shame game. I want you to know, even though you've gotten really, really good at this game, here's the paradox, here's the dichotomy. The better you get at it, the worse you lose. The better you get at blaming, the worse you're gonna lose. The better you get at fame, the worse you're gonna feel. The better you get at playing the shame game, you're just gonna keep hiding. And I can tell you that those those secrets and those things that are hiding, they have power in the dark. They, they, They get stronger. Secrets strengthen in the dark. But if you will step out from the trees and stand before God, You may be afraid of how he might respond. I promise you, he's not there to slap you in the face with a belt. He's there to receive you and clothe you and get you back on track. How how do you win the shame game? Vulnerability. I've shared it before, but there are two sign languages for vulnerability. Um, There's one element of sign language where it would look like this like someone standing and being weak in the knees. This could be a sign of vulnerability. But here's the other sign of vulnerability. It's this. It's exposing. It's almost like Superman. I promise you there's something supernatural when guys like me and girls like you and guys like you and girls like you are able to open up and be vulnerable, we win the shame game. That's the arena. That's where I know and you know. Here's the third, here's the third window into the whole shame place where we tend to find ourselves. Here's the third one, write it down. It's the blind spot. It's peering through the window called the blind spot. And that's where I don't know, but you do. I, there's something in my life. It's a, it's a blind spot. It's a dumb spot. It's a deaf spot. I just don't see it. I can't understand it. I don't hear it. People wonder why I don't see it. I can't see it. It's a blind spot. My wife has to continually like defend me at times when people come up to me and wave or like put their hand out to shake my hand because I'm 100% blind in my left eye. So I got like a big old blind spot. I got a huge blind spot over here. Uh, when I drive, she's just in the, in the passenger seat. She's just praying in tongues like the whole time because I got a big old blind spot. Okay. Um, we all deal with blind spots, places that are dark, that need to be illuminated. Here's what's fascinating to me. In the story of creation in the book of Genesis, God says, let there be light. And he separates the light, uh, the day from the night, and and darkness, okay, darkness is, is pushed away by the light. 
Now, I want you to write this down because this is very, very, very interesting. God didn't obliterate darkness. Why didn't God just cancel out darkness? Why didn't God just destroy darkness? Why didn't he just wipe it off the face of the planet? He didn't obliterate darkness, but here's what he did do. He named it. He named darkness, darkness, and he named light, light. And not only did he name it, he then gave it boundaries. And whenever there is light that comes into the room, it puts boundaries on the darkness. That's how God works. And that's what he also did with shame. See, we want God to obliterate every negative thing in our life. We want God to obliterate all the bad reports. We want God to obliterate, get rid of all the things that might cause us to suffer. If God is so good and so loving, why do bad things happen? So we think the only way God is good is if everything is great. But God can be even greater when you recognize your need for him. And this is what God is doing with shame. This is what God is doing. When darkness is given boundaries, the light comes in and it shows us just how powerful he is. And when we're dealing with shame and we want to hide, when his light exposes what we're trying to hide, what we're trying to protect, he tends to do some of his greatest work in those moments where we're having to be vulnerable. Write it down. Shame may be an intimidator. He didn't obliterate it, and it's going to exist, and it's not a sin. It can lead you to sin, or it can be the result of sin, but it's not a sin to experience or feel shame. Shame can be an intimidator, and it can intimidate you, and it can hold you back, and it can intimidate you to run forward with jet fuel or cower back into quicksand, but it can be an intimidator, or it can also be an indicator. It can be a check engine light on your heart to kind of blink and show you, whoa, maybe you need to think about this. Maybe you need to investigate something that you're experiencing. And so the shame comes into our life and we experience it. And instead of Adam and Eve responding to the shame as an intimidator and hiding from God, it should have been an indicator, warning, warning, blink, 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 check engine to go immediately to the manufacturer, go immediately to the maker of, of, of the vehicle, to go to the creator God and say, hey, there's some indicator buttons on here. Can you talk to me? Can you help me? And shame ought to be an indicator for you to start thinking about your thoughts. You got to think about your thoughts. You got to think about the way you think about your thoughts. It's not on your notes, but just kind of write this down. We've got to set a trap for the shame old thoughts. Set a trap for it. The Bible says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And why does he say take every thought captive? Because you're going to have some runaway thoughts. You're going to have some candy criticism, digging up dirt, burying hurt thoughts. And as you deal with shame, it ought to be that check engine light to think about the way you're thinking about your thoughts. So here's a few things to give you some handlebars today. Here's one thing that you need to be thinking about. When we assume all our thoughts are completely true, 
When you're assuming that every single thought you have is completely unadulterated, completely pure, completely truthful, guess what? They probably aren't. There's probably something laced into there causing it to be a half truth. And so here's what you would ask. Here's what you would ask. You would ask, is this thing I'm telling myself about ourselves? And that doesn't mean you're multiple personality disorder. The truth is the way you think about you and the way you think about others, you have to, you, you have to consider both sides of that. In your thoughts, you're thinking thoughts about you while simultaneously you're thinking thoughts about what other people are thinking about you. And so the question to ask, is this thing I'm telling myself about ourselves, about me and about you, is it completely true? They're, nev they're never going to stop that. They're always going to think that. They're never going to let me. They're always going to assume, are those thoughts completely true? And you really have to set a trap for your shame old thoughts. Here's another Here's another time when we need to really think about the way we're thinking about our thinking. When we hang on to thoughts that aren't helpful. When you're hanging on to thoughts that just like make you feel good in a moment because it makes you kind of uh, grit your teeth against someone or it makes you like, oh, just, just I don't know how it releases some pressure by you being so mad at yourself. I, 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 I'm not for sure how this works, but, but the truth is many times you're hanging on to some unhelpful thoughts. And so ask yourself the question, is this thing I'm telling myself about ourselves helpful? Is it helpful for you to continue to remind yourself of that thing they did and what they just don't seem to really be able to fix? Is that going to be helpful? In the long run, here's another one. When we respond to our thoughts with criticism instead of kindness. When we are quicker to criticize people than speak to the potential in people. I mean, criticism is a national pastime. Apple pie, baseball, criticism. It is one of the key tools of the enemy to just get you to criticize. It even sounds snaky and sneaky. Criticism. We just want to be critical more than we're kind. And so the question to ask, is this thing I'm telling myself about ourselves kind? Be kind to people and be kind to the person in the mirror, everybody. Be kind to yourself. Speak, speak truth and speak love. That's what Jesus is speaking over you. Be kind. Christ is kind to you. Hmm. Now, just, just write this down. Thoughts come by choice or by chance. You're going to have a thought. It's going to come up. And you have a choice. It'll come by choice or it can come by chance. Some things you think about, you say, why was I even thinking that? Well, that's just by chance you're thinking it. But then there are other stuff that you have to strategically choose to think about. But whether it's by choice or by chance, I get to choose either way. I get to choose either way and how powerful those thoughts are going to be in my life. Let me say it to you the way John Acuff says in his book, uh, Soundtrack. Here, here's what he says. If I can lay out my clothes in advance, I can pick my thoughts in advance. In a couple of weeks, some of you are going to gather around a Thanksgiving table 
and you're already beginning to think about what this person's going to say or not say, what this person is going, this little snide remark or not. And you are already, you are already thinking in advance of, of how they're going to do this thing. Can you also, the same way you lay out your clothes, can you lay out the right way to respond? Don't be driven by them, but be guided by the gift of the Spirit of God to make sure that we are actually following through with what we need to do. Like, like we're really like trusting God and allowing him to, uh, to filter our thoughts so that we don't get stuck in the fame, the blame, or the shame game. Here's how the author of Hebrews says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. When it comes to blind spots, we need other people in our lives. Look how this is in community. See to it, brothers and sisters. He's not talking about see to it, you one person, because you can't see all that you're designed to see. You need other people in your life that will see things that you're not seeing, that will talk to you about your blind spots. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So allow other people, are you inviting people in community that you can truly trust, that have proven and have a track record of trust with you, that, that you're inviting them, hey, will you speak into my life? Do you see any blind spots that I might not be seeing? See to it that we don't allow these thoughts to, to kind of uh, hijack our trajectory. So here we go. We've got the mask. I know, but you don't. The arena, I know and you know. The blind spot, I don't know, but you do know. And here we got the, the fourth piece. And this is the window that, that I believe God is looking through. God wants to bring you up next to him, put an arm around you, put a hand on your shoulder. And he, he, he wants to see you through this window. And it's this fourth area. It's the potential it's the potential that I don't know and you don't know. But I promise you, God knows. God knows. He, he sees who you are and who you can become. And he doesn't get upset that you are who you are. He sees who you can become. He sees it in the calling of the first disciples that were so stinking dysfunctional. And the very first time he begins to talk to Simon, he says, you're not just a Simon, you're Peter, you're a rock. You're not going to be a pebble, you're going to be a rock. Now, you're going to act like an idiot sometimes, but I'm not going to name you idiot, I'm going to name you Peter, the rock, because I'm going to not speak to your problems, I'm going to speak to your potential. The truth is, I will never reach my full God-given potential without God, without God putting an arm around us and inviting us to see. You won't reach your full God-given potential hiding behind the tree, covering yourself up with all the fig leaves, the fig leaves of fame, the fig leaves of blame, the fig leaves of success, the fig leaves of, of stature, the fig leaves of finances. All of these things are just a bunch of fig leaves, baby. God wants to meet you and show you what he sees. We say it like this at Timber Creek. Your God-given potential is the mission. But engaging your God-given potential is your mission. I wish I could engage it for you. I see it for you, but I can't engage it for you. And you can live in shame for the rest of your life 
if you want to. But the good news is you don't have to. God, with his help and his strength, where you're out of strength, you don't have to hide from him. He'll meet you right where you are. He'll help you settle your yesterdays. You don't have to look into the rear view mirror anymore. You can have a future, a hope, and he will show that to you, but you've got to lean into him and you got to stop the stinking thinking. Guess what? Adam and Eve had God chase them down. They didn't have to chase God down. You know what that says to us in your potential? God is not waiting for me to make myself presentable. Many times we say things like, uh, when we get a little bit better financially stable, then we'll think about having kids. Or when we pay off this debt or when we do this, like we want to, we want to make sure that the, the stuff is just right before we take big leaps of faith in our lives. Truth is, God already took the leap while you were still a sinner. He sent his son to die for you, and he's not waiting for you to be presentable. He sent his son to be completely shamed so that you don't have to live in shame. The apostle Paul was struggling with some stuff in his life. He was struggling with these things in his life. And he asked God three different times, would you take this thorn of the flesh away from me? And I love how the message paraphrase uh, puts this scripture. It's a popular scripture. It reads, my grace is sufficient for you. But in the message, here's how it reads. Paul learned that God's grace was enough for him. That it was all you need. That God's strength comes into its own in your weakness. Do you know that God's strength is really hard to experience when you're living in your own strength? It's not until you get into some weak areas, into some blame areas and shame areas and fame areas that his strength will stabilize you. <laughs> Apostle Paul goes on to say, once I heard that, once I understood it, once I got it down into my heart, I quit focusing on the handicap that my shame brings, the handicap that the blame stuff does, and I began to appreciate, I began appreciating the gift. There's a gift in your weakness. Here's what Paul says. I'm gonna take my limitations in stride with the good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, the abuse and the accidents and the opposition and the bad breaks, and I'm just gonna let Christ take over. And it's about time that you stop letting abuse have that steering wheel and stop letting that addiction have the steering wheel. Stop letting all that other stuff in the past and the limitations and the opposition and the bad breaks and the breakups and the divorce all having the steering wheel for your future because God sees something of who you can become. You don't have to be identified by your issue. You are identified by your Savior. And the Apostle Paul says, I don't have to. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. There's just something powerful about the stuff we want to hide the most how if we'll give it to God, it's like he does some of his greatest work in some of our greatest hidden things. So would you write it down? God's power is very present in places I think I can't present. 
Nobody will accept me. Nobody would know. No, no, man. <sighs> Confess your sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive, to cleanse us. Have you gotten lost in your thoughts? Have your daydreams moved from dress up to cover up? Jesus wants to breathe fresh, new, childlike faith into you and reach you right where you are. He comes to you, step out from behind the trees and he'll meet you there. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for every person in this room and all of our rooms. Thank you, God, for meeting us, for leaving heaven and coming to earth through your son. Jesus, thank you for paying what is way beyond my ability to pay. Thank you for wearing my shame so that I don't have to. Thank you for meeting us right here. May we, God, as we worship you in spirit and in truth, as we remember who you are, as we, as we celebrate remembering what you've done today, may also we remember who you say we are. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God, who bore our shame. Amen.